This is Teddy, and you're listening to Elisa Cardinal on Two Broads Talking Politics. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Everyone, this is Kelly with Two Broads Talking Politics, which is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. And I am on today with Elisa Cardinal, who is running for Congress in the Texas Second District. Hi, Elisa. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, so let's just start with a little bit of, of background. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for Congress. Sure. Well, service is in my family's background. My dad was in the Army, so I was actually born on a base in West Germany. And I was in high school when 9-11 happened, so that set me on my own path towards service. I went to college here in district at Rice University on a Navy ROTC scholarship. And the same day I graduated, I earned my commission in the Navy and reported to my ship in Virginia two weeks later. Uh, I was stationed on a destroyer. And my job was the anti-submarine warfare officer, so hunting submarines. I did do a deployment to the Persian Gulf for seven months. And when I came home from that, we discovered that I had developed my first pre-existing condition, asthma. Um, I also had my daughter a couple of years later. And between those two things, I decided to come back home to Houston, continue serving in the Navy Reserves, but also become a high school physics and math teacher. 18 months ago, in April of 2018, the Navy told me I had too many pre-existing conditions and I couldn't serve anymore. So it was a real identity crisis, and I had to figure out where to put all of that energy. And I watched a lot of great women veterans running last cycle and said, maybe one day. But then I watched in November of 2018 when Dan Crenshaw won this district with less than 53% of the vote but I knew he was a far-right Republican, and I knew it was time to step up and serve again. Excellent. So I, I'm really interested uh, in hearing more about this district. So you mentioned he got less than 53% of the vote in 2018. Cook has it rated as an R plus 11, but you know we know that Texas is, is getting bluer all the time. And this is a very urban district, so it, it seems like there should be at least some, uh, some good possibility of it going uh, more uh, left. So tell me a little bit about the district. I know it's a very oddly shaped district. District, like many in Texas, um, but what? Yes, it is. Uh, what exactly? Where in Texas is this? And uh, and you, you know, what are you hearing from people? What are the kinds of things that they're really concerned with? Sure. So we're in Houston. Uh, we're entirely in the city and its suburbs. So we are an urban suburban district. That Beto came within three thousand votes of winning in 2018 in his Senate run, and we've already had 18,000 new registrations. So we're growing very rapidly. Um, we are 52% people of color and 48% college educated. So we are primed to flip. And what I'm hearing from folks on the ground is what we're hearing from really a lot of folks here in Texas is that they are concerned about climate change. There, uh, we've had three 500-year floods in three years, and so making sure we're addressing not only the infrastructure to deal with the next big flood, but preventing them from getting worse and worse with climate change is important to folks. 
Um, also, healthcare doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. Cancer or diabetes or asthma don't ask you your politics before before they, uh, you know, come into your life. And so people are concerned about their health care and their education. Um, and we really hear a lot, too, actually, about common sense gun legislation is the other piece we hear a lot. Folks understand that this is not, you know, repealing the Second Amendment. We're not coming for anyone's guns. We just want folks to be safe. And so that includes the well-regulated part of the Second Amendment. Yeah, so I wonder if also as a, a teacher, you can speak to this piece of uh, school safety, you know, and of course, there was a, a have been a few tragic shootings in Texas. Uh, and Texas is known as a, a state that, that people want to hold on to their guns. Uh, but what what is that relationship of sort of school safety, making sure that the kids are able to go and learn and, and feel that they're not going to face uh, tragedy in their school and and this idea of, um, you know, keeping some sort of uh, independence in, in that sort of Texas spirit. Right. Um, it, it's a tough balance sometimes, but as both a mom and a teacher, I've seen the effects not just on our students, but on their teachers to, to worry not only about are your students learning, are they coming to school prepared, but also are you going to be called on to put your life on the line? And we all gladly would, but it's not as a teacher what you sign up for. And so really what we hear is we want folks to keep their guns. We want them to be uh, safely stored. We want universal background checks with no loopholes. We want extreme risk protection orders. So otherwise known as red flag laws, so folks who are a danger to themselves or to others are temporarily relieved of their guns, but there's still due process involved. And then assault weapons, as a veteran, I've been trained with a weapon. I carried one for the military, and I know that weapons of war have no place in our streets or in our schools, and people support all of those things, both in Texas and across the country as a whole. So you mentioned that this district is is primed to flip. It definitely seems that way. And you were the only Democrat uh, who has uh, filed to run. And the filing deadline in Texas, of course, is very soon now. Um, and your uh, your opponent, you mentioned, is a, a far right Republican and, and seems to not be thinking much about the needs of the district. Can you talk about what you think sort of the ideal public servant in a very swingy kind of district looks like how you balance the, you know, the the people who vote for you are going to vote for you probably just by a, a small margin and and how you make sure that you're sort of listening to, to everyone and responding to everyone in the district. Right. And I think that listening piece is a big part of what folks don't like about Dan Crenshaw. Um, he has only held one town hall since he's been in office, and it's been 11 and a half months now. He's held a few other events in district, but he always holds them in very loud, noisy, crowded places where no one can get a question in. And so that's where people, you know, they do understand he's elected, he's duly elected, but he's not listening to the folks who don't think like him. And one of the things on the campaign trail is we do look at differences, right, because that's how we make a decision. But once you're in office, you're supposed to represent your entire district. And so when your opinions maybe don't match with the majority of your district, you should be willing to be open to discussions with your constituents. And Dan Crenshaw is not. And so that's something that I know folks here really just want to engage in conversation with him. And he doesn't allow that. 
So what would you then do then if, if you're elected to, to make sure that you're listening to everyone? Sure. Well, for one thing, I'd spend a lot more time at home in the district. It seems that Dan spends more time on the campaign trail raising for the GOP than he does back here. Um, and then also I would hold town halls at least quarterly in the district to hear what my constituents are thinking, um, what their top concerns are, and staying engaged through social media instead of using it to troll other folks. You mentioned that there were a lot of women veterans running in 2018. There's a lot running in 2020 as well. Uh, And I think what's been uh, perhaps interesting, surprising, is that so many of these women veterans are running as Democrats. You know, there's been this sort of uh, historic uh, weirdness of looking at, you know, somehow uh, being uh, military, strong military is is a Republican thing, uh, which I don't think is true. But why do you think so many uh, people like you, so many women who are veterans who've served the country in various capacities are coming back and and really aligning, uh, finding their values aligning with the Democratic Party? Sure. I think that a lot of it is that when we were serving, that service is part of who we are. Um, It's an all-volunteer military. We have all signed up to put our lives on the line for the Constitution. And so we swear an oath to uh, protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we take that seriously. And right now, I feel like a lot of, and it's not just women veterans, there's a lot of veterans, um, both male and female, who feel that Right now, the rule of law is not being upheld, and that is a key tenet of our Constitution. So allowing someone who's crossing the line into authoritarian uh, tactics and letting that go unchecked by the checks and balances that are in our Constitution, uh, a lot of us feel like the country we want to fight for needs us to keep fighting, but in the public sphere. So I know one of the issues that you care about is uh, getting corporate money out of politics. Could you talk a little bit about that and and how you then raise money for a run-in office uh, when you're you're trying to do it on grassroots money? Right. So corporate money, um, as you know from End Citizens United, it's now – it's been that incumbents tend to outraise and outspend their challengers, regardless of party. And that's because there's a lot of corporate PAC money involved. My opponent, Dan Crenshaw, has taken over a quarter million dollars of PAC money already this year. And so he has taken money from Big Pharma, from uh, one of the private prisons that's involved in detaining immigrants. And so when we see that in his voting record, the folks he's taking money from, he is voting along with their interests instead of the constituents. And so in order to raise money that's not uh, corporate PAC money, it's a lot of grassroots outreach. So we reach folks on Facebook, on Twitter. We uh, hold events in districts. And just like we're meeting folks one living room at a time, we're building this campaign one small dollar donation at a time as well. So, in fact, in just the last 24 hours, uh, we have we've really exploded on Twitter. We've more than doubled our following. And uh, because Dan Crenshaw brought some attention to our race uh, uh, accidentally (laughs) Um, and we had over a thousand small dollar donations in a 24 hour period. That's excellent. Yeah. 
So I, I wanted to ask you too about being a mom. Uh, I'm also a mom. I think that your daughter and my older son are right around the same age. Uh, and you talk on your website about when the 2016 election happened, uh, that your daughter was so upset uh, because of how mean politics had become. I I think it's really hard to, to raise kids right now in a way that we, we try to keep them respectful and, and caring about other people and, and not turn sides against each other. How are you able to to manage that sort of raising her to obviously she must know about politics, um, but without sort of being dragged down into the dirt of politics? Uh, I think we talk a lot about values. And that's something I mean, her school is an IB school. They talk about values all the time. She's in Girl Scouts. And so she hears the same message uh, from me from school from Scouts. And so she she hears about responsibility and accountability and friendship and kindness. Um, and so as as an eight year old, when you talk about values and building empathy to put yourself in someone else's shoes, um, she really responds very well to that, to the thinking about what someone else, even though they come to a different, different conclusion, it's because they're coming from a different place. Uh, and I, honestly, I wish more of our adults had that skill. <laughs> so, um, I can't say that's all me. It's definitely her her school and her, you know, her, she has a great friend. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, that's, that's really where we approach that from is just making sure you're thinking about other people and their point of view. Well, and how great for her to see you stepping up and running for office and, and getting that, uh, you know, sort of as a as a role model for when she grows up. We, we definitely need more young girls seeing that and running for office. Yes, yes. And she... She's still at the age where she thinks I'm I'm amazing. So we'll we'll wait a few years to see if she still thinks that. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm not sure my 8-year-old still thinks I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I know that there are in your district uh, a lot of veterans and active duty uh, service people. Talk to me some about the, the kinds of needs uh, that they have that maybe aren't being fully met by Congress right now. Sure. So the Veterans uh, Affairs System, the VA hospital, we do actually have one here in Houston. It's rather large. It's not in district, but it's not far from the edge of our southern border. And it's one of the bigger ones. And it's not bad. But I know that there are a lot of folks who aren't in my district who live in the surrounding counties that have to drive for a very long time to get access to the VA. And also just getting access in the first place, getting scheduled for an appointment um, is not always uh, the smoothest experience. I can tell you from my own personal attempts uh, to get started with the VA, once you're in, it's not bad. But Really, we need to make sure we're working on reaching out to veterans who um, maybe are not using the system and that are not using the benefits that they have earned and are keeping them back. In fact, the homeless population tends to be very um, disproportionately made up of veterans, especially female veterans. They're homeless at a higher rate because a lot of times they don't have access to the services. And they're also a lot of times dealing with mental health issues that there's still a stigma about addressing them. And there's also just not the capacity to handle the number of cases that we're seeing coming back after spending 18 years at war. I wanted to ask too about immigration. Uh, You know, obviously there's so much rhetoric now about uh, immigration and about how we should take care of the dreamers. And Texas, of course, has a large immigrant population. What what do you hear sort of on the ground from people? Are they 
are they concerned with immigration? Are there reforms that you would like to see? You know, I think when I hear folks be concerned about immigration, it's not the fact that folks are coming. It's about how we're treating them is what folks are concerned about and that we're not upholding our own American values and how we treat these folks that are coming looking for a better life for the American dream. Um, the reforms that I we want are to have a humane immigration system while at the same time maintaining our national security. So many times we talk about an either or, but we can have both. They're not mutually exclusive. And so what we need to do is make sure we are processing asylum claims as they come in. And let me just remind folks that seeking asylum is a right under international law um, to do so. And we already have processes in place for that, that we should be following, that we should be staffing enough folks to handle the influx of folks. And we, are, we cannot be separating families. We cannot be detaining children on Emancipation Boulevard in Houston. Um, it's so ironic that we have a detention facility for 16 and 17-year-old children that should be in classrooms, not cages. So if uh, if listeners would like to get involved and help out your campaign, how can they do that? Sure. So we are on Facebook, uh, but the best way is probably through the website, which is alisacardinal.com or on Twitter. And my handle is just at Elisa Cardinal. All right. And those small dollar donations <laughs> are always important. <laughs> uh, so we encourage our listeners to give those. Yeah, I think this this definitely looks like a flippable seat. And uh, and I think, you know, a, 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 no matter what happens, we are so thrilled to see so many great people stepping up and running and making sure that Republicans have no safe seats. So uh, so thank you so much for running. Uh, well, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> All right. Excellent. We will put a link to your website uh, and your social media up on our website when we post this as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics, part of the Dimcast Podcast Network. Our theme song is called Are You Listening? off of the album Elephant Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and was created for use by this podcast. You can contact us at twobroadstalkingpolitics at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at Two Broads Talk. You can find all of our episodes at twobroadstalkingpolitics.com or anywhere podcasts are found.